Hi, everyone. Quick plug before we get started. As many of you probably already know who listen to this podcast, we've launched an app. It's called Vivio. It tracks your sleep, nutrition, exercise, and mindset and gives you individualized recommendations on a daily basis on how to get healthier, to improve your well-being, and to perform to your potentials. If you want to check it out, visit vivio.com, V-I-I-V-I-O.com. Thanks so much. Let's dive into this episode. What's up, everyone? Welcome back. Great to be with you. Thank you so much for joining me for another episode of the podcast. Each week, I do my best to deconstruct excellence. And one of the big challenges that we're all faced with right now as we emerge from this pandemic, specifically around excellence, and is how do we return to work? What does that look like? How do we do that in a way that improves our health and well-being? Uh, actually makes it, imagine, and I've said this so many times before, but I'll, I'll, say, I'll just sort of throw it out there again. Imagine if work was a place that when we went there, we got healthier. I've said that around schools. Imagine if schools were places that when we went there, our health improved mentally, physically, and emotionally. And around that idea, I've been having loads of chats with Dr. Robin Hanley-Defoe, with Dr. Sarah Gardner, with Dr. Bill Howitt about mental health over recently and, and over the years. And that's all been summarized into some information that I present in this show. This is a Q&A session that I did uh, around, I just took in a whole ton of questions uh, from a number of people that I work with in and around health and well-being as it relates to managing our return to the workplace. And just pushed out as many comments as I could, as many ideas as I could in this hour. So this is Greg just, you know, answering questions, Q&A, return to work, mental health, physical health. How do we return to work and actually make work a place that improves our health and well-being? There's a number of tactics here. There's very specific things um, around being transparent, listening early and often, discussing your expectations, experimentation, adaptation, growth, mindset, uh, all sorts of things like that, that I think that if you put them into practice for yourself in the coming days, weeks, and months, it will certainly help make the world a better place for all of us. So I'm super excited to share this. Um, basically Craig having a chat with the microphone is taking questions and firing them out to, uh, the people that I was working with and also now you on this podcast as well. All right, let's know, let's not delay any further. Let's dive into this. Please enjoy my Q and a session all around managing return to work, and performing to your potential. I'm really happy to talk about this issue. Returning to work is very difficult because we are entering into tremendous uncertainty. And uh, it's a difficult time. It's been a bit difficult 16 months that we've been in this crazy situation. The, the anxiety and the stress and is, not, uh, is not decreasing because as much as it took a huge amount of energy for us to figure out how to move from working in person in an office to working from home, we are now probably going to move to a hybrid model and that will require another set of adaptations. So I'm thrilled that you've submitted questions and really looking forward to digging into some of those questions and answering them. The chat is open, so please feel free to put your questions in the chat as we go along, thoughts, comments, and I will dive in and out of these as much as possible. And hopefully we have some time at the end 
uh, to take some live questions, but let's do this and um, just get going because I've got lots of stuff to get through and I hope that this is helpful. All right, here we go. I need work flexibility. This has helped me with balancing my life during COVID. And as a mom, I was able to see my kids when they needed me. As a dad, I'm with you on that one. Going back full-time is giving me anxiety over this. I'm with you as well on that as well. I want to work from home a few days and be at the office for a few days. This might not be possible because we might need to be back full-time eventually at the office. How do I overcome this feeling? I think that everyone's feeling exactly the way that you just described. Uh, I just booked my first uh, in-person speech in September. I know I'm going to have to get on an airplane. I know I'm going to have to go to a hotel. I know I'm going to have to see people live. It's going to be very, very strange. Uh, it definitely does not feel good. There is some anxiety around that, but also some excitement. So physiologically, as a physiologist, the difference between anxiety and excitement is not that great. It's just a slightly different interpretation of the same physiology. But the way that I cope with that and the way that um, I manage that, because I don't love the word coping. Coping is just sort of getting by, whereas managing it is deliberate and intentional. The way that I manage that sensation, the way that I'm managing this uncertainty right now is doing, uh, working with the idea of locus of control, which I learned from many, many years ago from Stephen Covey, who wrote Seven Habits of Highly Effective People, uh, the late Stephen Covey. But anyway, locus of control simply means... Uh, identifying what you can control, identifying what you cannot control, and allocating your attention and energy towards the things that you can control. So in the return to work context, there are some things we can control and there are things that we cannot control. The things we cannot control is that some of us will need to go back and be live and in person. Uh, that may be a choice. You want to be live and in person. It may not be a choice. That's how your employer is going to be operating moving forwards. If you are, for example, um, a customer service representative in a bank branch, you are going to need to be there in person. Nothing we can do to get around that. Although, of course, things are shifting to bank machines. They are shifting to online banking. We still need people in a branch to answer specific questions. That is outside of our control, especially if you're a CSR. However, what can we control? We can control whether or not we wash our hands. We can control whether or not we wear a mask. We can control whether or not there's um, glass in front of us. We can control what we do in the mornings and evenings with our families. We can control what we do on the weekends. We can control whether or not we get sunlight. We can control whether or not we exercise. We can control whether or not we eat healthy food. Uh, whether we can control whether or not we create magic moments with our families in those times when we get to spend time with our families, evenings, weekends, vacations. And so it's really important for us, I think, moving forwards to do this locus of control exercise and allocate our attention and energy towards things that we can control versus things that we cannot control and then really create this work-life separation, which is always hard to do, but that enables us when we are actually with our family to have those incredible magic moments. Similarly, when we're at work, to also have magic moments with our clients. So I think that that's just a little thing to consider moving forwards. Contemplate the idea of locus of control. If you need more info or a worksheet on that, just message me and I'll send you the worksheet. All right. With the likeliness and eagerness of wanting to interact with our peers when we return, how can we ensure to remain productive in the early onset of our return to work? Literally, can you imagine when we return to work and everyone's vaccinated? It's It could potentially turn into a dance party with everyone, you know, hugging and 
just high-fiving and it's, it's going to be awesome for us extroverts. For the introverts in the world, they're going to be like, oh, I've been so happy for the last 16 months. What am I going to do moving forwards? What I think that the key thing that we need to take away from this idea is that for the very short term, when you first walk back into the office and you're seeing everyone face to face again, you are not going to be productive. You're going to have to say hello to everyone. And that's totally fine. And that will probably decline fairly quickly and we'll be able to get back to being productive. But the takeaway for me in that question is simply this. I think in the pandemic, we've learned some very interesting things. And one of the interesting things that we have learned is the importance of community, how much we need other people, how much we need to see our loved ones, how much we need to spend time with our family. And we spend an enormous amount of time at work and our work colleagues often become our extended family. We spend that much time with them. You probably spend more time with people at work than you do with your family at home. And so this community that we feel, this chance to go back and interact with people and what we know is going to happen when we get back into that environment, get over this anxiety and actually you know, touch another human being is that the power of community is tremendous. And I really think that we can leverage that moving forwards. Respecting, of course, the introverts and extroverts, respecting, of course, the rules around safe engagement moving forwards and all those sorts of things. But consider the power of community and the deep human need to be connected and to feel like they are a part of a community. I think that's definitely something that we can consider for ourselves personally, but also for ourselves professionally as we move forwards. Hope that's helpful. So that's two things so far, locus of control, power of community. Next idea that I have for you, by the way, I hope that this is helpful. Um, and I see there's a lot of people that have joined. So there we go. All right, cool. Um, next thing to think about as I move down my massive list of stuff. Ah, this is a good one. Since working from home, my stress levels have been reduced as I have not been exposed to office chatter slash other people's problems. Whew, feel you. I'm a fixer by nature and I'm concerned that upon my return to the office, I will fall back into the habit of feeling a need to fix other people's problems. How do I prepare myself to stay focused on my own work and not worry about others and be a good team player? I've got a hugely important concept to share with you um, that we've been working on for a long time and it's an absolute game changer. And the idea is cultivating your dream team and your circle of genius. So rather than thinking about how do I avoid the negative people? How do I avoid the complainers? How do I avoid the fixed mindset people that drag me down? And this is Greg speaking, so I, my own thinking. How do I instead deliberately cultivate my dream team? How do I deliberately spend more time with people who elevate my life? I have actually spent a huge amount of time journaling during this pandemic. And in my journal, and I won't show this to you, but at the beginning and the opening pages, I have listed my circle of genius. I have my circle of genius who are people that elevate me professionally as an entrepreneur. I have a group of people that elevate me personally, people I love to spend time with who just make me happy and a group of people who elevate my fitness because I'm really into training at the moment. 
And so I know who those people are. I know that I elevate them, they elevate me. And so they, I, for them, I book the phone calls, I book the dinners, I schedule the runs, I schedule the bike rides, right? In some cases, we even schedule the vacations together as families so that I can cultivate an environment where the people around me are world-class. The people around me elevate my life and I elevate those around me as well, which means that we have to then do the opposite, which is deliberately decrease the amount of time that we spend with people who are energy drainers, people who are negative, people who complain. And as we make that shift towards people that elevate us and who we elevate, everyone's performance improves, everyone's health improves, and we end up changing the world for the better. And so I would encourage you to think not so much about how do I avoid to who do I want to spend more time with? And schedule those meetings, schedule those walks, schedule the coffee breaks, schedule the phone calls, make it a habit and routine to spend more time with those people. And over time, you will completely change the game for yourself personally and professionally. So that is the dream team concept. Cultivate your own dream team. All right, next question. By the way, I really hope these ideas are important and helpful for you. Uh, and would love your feedback in the chat. If I say something that resonates with you or that you think is great, just be like, hey, that, that helped or something like that, just so I get a bit of feedback. So I don't feel like I'm talking to myself in a room uh, in a hotel, which is actually where I am at the moment. All right, I'm so worried about being back in the office. Oh, sorry, I'm not so worried about being back in the office, but rather the commute. What recommendations do you have to reduce the potential of a panic attack? I can feel them just thinking about taking a packed go train. I can feel them a panic attack coming on, thinking about getting onto an airplane, which is imminent for me as well. And by the way, this is someone who used to fly two to four times a week. And I have not been on an airplane since February of 2020. And this is the longest I've gone without being on an airplane since I was nine years old. So um, I feel your anxiety on that one. So here's what I wrote down. First step in order to reduce the possibility of a panic attack when we go onto a bus, the subway, uh, a commuter train or an airplane, or even an office that's full of people. Imagine the next board meet room meeting where you pack the entire team into a room together where it's going to feel weird. How do we cope with that? Step one, two vaccines, get double vaccinated. If you're on AstraZeneca, that's going to confer somewhere in the order of 70 to 75% protection against COVID-19 and apparently many of the variants. And, or if you've had Pfizer, Moderna, that gets you into the 95% zone and you're largely protected, which is absolutely fabulous. However, in an environment like that, likely to encounter people who have COVID-19 or perhaps a variant, in which case we are double vaccinated as soon as possible. Second step is an N95 mask. So some masks just simply sit over your face, but they're open. And so they're designed to stop droplets from traveling, which is a way in which we transmit colds, flus, COVID-19. Other masks are designed to move the air through them, which is why I recommend for you, if you're gonna be commuting, the N95 mask. They're all sold out for months and months and months. They're now back in some uh, drugstores. And so I encourage you, if you're gonna be in a situation like that, get an N95 mask, fit it, so that there is a seal and then you will be breathing through the material and then the chances of any viruses going through that are infinitesimally small. That's your second layer of protection. Third layer of protection is um, bring a little tube of hand sanitizer with you, sanitize your hands on the way in, sanitize your hands on the way out, 
and that will keep you from transmitting anything that you touch to your face. And that is the three steps that I am going to be taking. Two times vaccine, N95 mask, and wash my hands. Stay six feet apart every chance you get. Might not be possible, but that's, you know, do the best you can. Then the other thing that you can do upon this idea of commuting is to attend traffic university. Let's use this return to work where we are driving to work, we are flying to work, we are riding to work as an opportunity to learn. Imagine if we could spend 45 minutes a day, an hour and a half a day, depending on how much time you're traveling for, learning, listening to the best podcasts, listening to incredible audiobooks. That's an hour a day, five days a week, five hours a week where you could be learning something new please consider attending Traffic University so that we all elevate our knowledge, our expertise around whatever it is that you care about the most. So we protect ourselves, we learn like crazy, and hopefully that will help us get through this very strange shift where we're going to go from spending all of our time at home to traveling back and forth. Admittedly, I, have no, I used to be a rabid podcast consumer. Uh, I actually have a podcast. Uh, the Dr. Greg Wells podcast. If you're not already subscribed, that'd be amazing if you did. Um, I have not been listening to podcasts. I've not been listening to audiobooks. I'm actually looking forward to getting back on an airplane so I can listen to some great books again. That's hopefully helping me with my concern about getting on a plane. All right, here's another question. Recommendations for balancing professional and personal responsibilities. Motivation slash ideas for taking yourself first as a priority. Carrying on with the airplane analogy. You know, if there's a turbulence or something like that and pressure drops in the cabin, masks drop, you put the mask on yourself so that you get oxygen, keep yourself awake so that you can then make sure that you can put the oxygen mask on someone else. If you put the oxygen mask on someone else first, they may be awake, you're going to pass out, or maybe you don't even, anyway, you get the idea. Put the mask on yourself first so that you can better take care of others. And I think that this goes with our overall health as well. If you're in a great place from a mental health perspective, from a physical health perspective, from an emotional health perspective, you're going to be better able to take care of your family. You're going to be better able to take care of your customers and clients. You're going to be able to teach better in situations where you can teach. And so I would encourage you to maintain as much as possible as a priority, the number one priority in your life being health, Number two priority in your life being your family and friends. Third priority being work. And it's ironic because when we think about that and it's, you know, health, family, work as the order of priority. And you might be like, what? Health's above family? Yes, because if you're dead, you're of no good to no use to your family. You can't serve your family if you're not well. Whereas when we flip it around and it's work, family, health or work, health, family, Ironically enough, our work suffers because if you're not happy at home, you're not going to be able to perform to your potential at work. If you're not healthy, you're not going to be able to perform to your potential at work. So by being self-full, and I don't like the term selfish, I think self-full is a cooler term, we can actually better serve others. So take care of yourself is the first priority. And believe it or not, your performance at work, your contribution to your family is going to exponentially improve. I hope that that is helpful. Just going to do a quick check on the chat. And someone just said, is that N95 mask? Never heard of it. Yeah. So just when you go into the the store, um, just look up N95 mask 
Uh, and those are the types that actually seal uh, around your face and force air to move through them rather than just around them. So that is the tactic that I am going to be using moving forwards. A couple of questions came through, just gonna double check. I have seen some of my colleagues recently who have returned to the office already. They're a lot more comfortable with close contact than me. How do I deal with that without appearing distant or unfriendly? Great question. Five steps for you to consider uh, as we return to the office with people with different levels of comfort around what is going on. For me right now, I've noticed it in elevators. Some people are comfortable with more than two people in an elevator. A couple people even got on an elevator recently without a mask on. I was like, what are you doing? Anyway, so I get it. Let's contemplate the five steps. Step number one is be transparent. Don't be afraid to tell other people about your comfort level. And the more transparent that you are about that, the more people can adapt to how you're feeling. Second thing, listen early and often. So as much as you express your uh, transparency about how you're feeling, it's super important for us to listen to others. If you are already at work, you're down, you're comfortable, all is good, and new people are arriving and the number of people in the office is increasing, make sure that you're asking and listening to how they're feeling and listen with the intention to understand, not with the intention to be understood. Most people listen with the intention of answering. We don't need to answer. We simply need to understand. And so that's a game changer in and of itself. Seek, again, something I learned from Stephen Covey a long time ago. It's been super helpful for me. So step one, be transparent. Two, listen early and often. Step three, discuss expectations. You may have an expectation that you wear a mask and the people around you wear a mask. You need to communicate that uh, in order to be moving forward. So you may have expectations that if there's two people that are back, double vaccinated and they're both in the same room, that's cool. You may have expectations that if you're double vaccinated and someone else is single vaccinated, that they and you wear a mask and stay six feet apart. You may have an expectation that if you're placed in a situation where you're double vaccinated, but there's many people who are single or not vaccinated at all, customer service representative interacting with clients coming in from the street, then the expectation is everyone's double masked, everyone's six feet apart, there's plexiglass, right? But there are expectations. So please discuss your expectations. As long as they're communicated, people can respond and respect that. So that's super critical. All of our collective communication is going to need to be so good. And, you know, all of us here in Canada are so crazy polite that we're afraid of saying anything that's going to offend anyone else. So we really need to get ourselves comfortable with having these, these discussions. If we were in Italy, we'd probably have no issues about it whatsoever. And then step number four is experiment. Step number five is adapt. So we're going to be undergoing an enormous amount of change. That change will be iterative. It will likely be changing every two weeks to a month throughout the next six to 10 months. So our ability to experiment, iterate and adapt is going to be critical. But the key thing, be transparent, listen early and often, discuss expectations. I think that will help you a lot. And next question. I feel way more tired at the end of the day working at the office compared to when I work at home. Why is this? How do I change it? Do you remember when we all went from working in an office to working at home and started working on Zoom and other platforms? How exhausted everybody was at the end of the day. 
That's because when you change locations, when you change the way that you work, the amount of learning that is happening is enormous. Now in junior kindergarten and kindergarten, when you go into a new environment and when you're learning a ton, they give you two hours every afternoon to nap. They give you recess to go outside and to recharge. They give you snack breaks and food to help you to recharge, all of which is easily accessible you know, at home. However, we don't have a lot of that when we are at work. We go in eight hours, we do what we need to do, and we, try, we get home. But this new environment going back to the office is cognitively extremely demanding. We're navigating a new environment and we're navigating a new way of working in that environment. And so it can be exhausting, fatiguing. And so understand that I think that this is a short-term adaptation. As we adapt to the new normal, it will get easier. In the meantime, we have to think about what gave us energy at home. Easy access to great food, hopefully. Ability to get water, tea, coffee, whenever you needed it. The ability to go outside and to refresh your brain by sitting on your back porch, staring at the trees or looking at artwork or whatever it happens to be. So contemplate what gives you energy and make sure that we take that with us to the office or make sure that we incorporate it into our lives in the evenings and the weekends, or maybe mornings if you get up early enough to make that happen. Uh, I hope that that's helpful. Another question, as a people manager, I'm concerned about morale when staff are back in the office. What strategies can I use to boost morale? I would encourage you not necessarily to worry so much about morale right now. What I would encourage you to do is to give people what I think most people need at the moment more than anything else. And what people need right now more than anything else is help coping with uncertainty. Uncertainty is what's causing stress. Uncertainty is what's causing anxiety. And if we can help people feel safe, then there's a chance that you might have good morale. If people feel unsafe, there is 0% chance of anyone having good morale. In fact, it will get worse. And I think that there are three key things that you can do to increase or sorry, to decrease uncertainty. And the three things that you can do as a people leader. Now, keep in mind, this could be CEO to executives, executives to managers, managers to employees, but it also is from employees to clients, all of you to your spouses and partners, all of you to your kids. This is society level interaction principles, but especially for you as a leader at work. Number one thing we need to do, plan for safety. Health and safety is now, no matter what, probably for the next 10 months, your number one concern. How do you keep your staff healthy and safe? How do you keep your customers healthy and safe? So critical. Number one, have a very detailed, consistent plan for health and safety. Step number two, communicate that plan. How are you going to keep everyone healthy and safe? I think that you might also underestimate the amount of communication that is required around communicating that plan. Doing it once isn't enough. It'll probably need to be revisited almost on a daily basis. I'm going to submit for a couple months and understand that that health and safety plan may change as the number of people in the population who are vaccinated increases. 
the plan may become less stringent over time, I would err on the side of being too safe because less safe has risks associated with it. So step one, plan for safety. Step two, communicate the plan. Communicate the plan, communicate the plan, communicate the plan until you're so bored of the plan, but keep going. And then the third thing is stick to the plan. Consistency is critical. If there's deviations from the plan, if people see that the plan's not being followed, morale will plummet. And confidence in you, trust in you will disappear. So as a people leader right now for the next bare minimum, three months, probably 10 months, we are going to need to be planning for safety, communicate that plan and stick to that plan. Don't be afraid to change the plan and iterate the plan as safety guidelines change, as vaccination rates go up, you'll be able to adapt. But in the meantime, those three principles are absolutely critical. That also leads us back to be transparent, listen early and often, and to discuss expectations, right? Those are all sort of wrapped up together and really, really important. Hope that that is helpful. Anxious about taking public transportation. How do I get over that as I'm not able to drive to work? Uh, as I said before, but I'll reiterate again, double vaccinated, N95 mask, wash your hands, attend traffic university. I hope that's helpful. What if employees don't want to come back and work in the office? Now that's very much a HR question. I am a physiologist who is a consultant to business leaders and sports athletes and other things. So not really, this is outside of my realm of expertise. So I am commenting as Greg personally, not as a professional based on research. And the key idea I would like for you to take away, especially if anyone's a people leader listening, is that employees are going to have to factor in flexibility if they want to retain talent from now on. Because if we're forcing people to work in places that they don't necessarily want to be, they're going to look elsewhere for work. And so that's why I believe that the hybrid model of some work at home, some work at the office is what's going to dominate moving forward. It's not gonna be all at work. It's not gonna be all at home. It'll be a hybrid model. So you working with your team to get to that hybrid model is going to be super important, I believe. And I have a couple questions that I think will enable you to help people make that transition. So you might send out a survey as a people leader, or just contemplate even these questions for you individually. And the survey with, and the questions for you individually would probably look something like this. How many days a week do you want to work in the office? And that could be like you asking yourself, how many days a week do I want to work in the office? Or you as a leader asking the people who work for you, how many days a week would you like to be in the office? Next question. And this is positively worded. So I loved worded. So I loved it. Love it. What will make the return to the office easier for you? You're facilitating people returning and feeling safe and happy. Third question, are there any extenuating circumstances that you're willing to share that might make a return to the office especially hard or scary for you? So that's where you give people the opportunity to feel supported, critical for psychological safety, according to research on high-performance teams at Google. What type of work would you prefer to do from the office? For example, large staff meetings, new team meetings, brainstorming sessions, et cetera. And what type of work would you prefer to do from home? The idea here being is that we're supporting people or at least having the awareness for us personally as to what we do well in an office environment and what we do well in the home environment. 
and then supporting people to go where they do their best work. Might be possible, might be not possible, but unless we're aware of what we want, and unless we are as leaders aware of what our staff wants, we can't make good decisions. Awareness is the key. And then be afraid, don't be afraid to share the results of those surveys, because when we share these types of results, when we are transparent, we are going to be able to get some insights that allow us to make great decisions moving forwards so that we can compete and create the best possible scenarios for us personally and professionally. Whew, how are we doing? We're 30 minutes in. I hope you guys are doing great. I hope this is helpful for you. Someone just said, God bless you must embrace the hybrid model. Yeah, I'm embracing it moving forwards. So hopefully everyone in the world will do that as well. But again, it depends on the situation, right? Like a customer service rep, frontline worker uh, may not be able to have the hybrid model. Um, so we have to be supportive of people depending on their jobs. Uh, another question, I'm very concerned about people's personal stand opinion on the virus, particularly the vaccine. How do you avoid heated conversations when we return? Uh, it's a, this is a huge issue. I physiologically, scientifically, and I've, I've had one of my grad students do her PhD work on the immune system. Uh, I wrote a chapter on the immune system in my book, Super Bodies. Uh, so I, I consider them reasonably well. I'm not a, an epidemiologist by any stretch of the imagination, but I have taken graduate level courses in my doctorate work on the immune system on infl inflammation. So I think I can comment a little bit about, about the vaccine. So my personal stand on the vaccine is I've had my two doses, I had Pfizer and Moderna uh, combo, uh, which I'm super thrilled about. I think that vaccines are safe. And I think that the more people that get the vaccine, the better, because that is what's going to enable us to move forwards safely um, as a society moving forwards. I think that people who choose not to get the vaccine uh, for no good reason are putting all of us at risk and they are relying on other people to keep them safe. And they will be the incubators for all the variants moving forward. So I have a huge problem with it. Uh, however, having said that, I have several very close friends who have said that they are not getting the vaccine. And I've simply decided not to have that conversation. And so I am a pull, don't push proponent. I'm going this way. I am doing this. I am eating healthy. I'm getting into the sun. I'm exercising. I'm getting the vaccine. I put it out on social. I posted the picture of me getting the, the vaccine. I've got 50,000 people who follow me on social the crazies came out and went bonkers and attacked me like nuts. But I feel like that's my responsibility is to tell people what I'm doing, what I am doing. I am going this way. Uh, so we pull, we don't push. And that I think will help you to avoid the heated exchanges. Having said that, I do believe that you are okay to let, say what your expectations are. My, you know, I got the vaccine twice. Therefore, I am comfortable with X. If you've chosen not to get the vaccine, that's fine, but please stay six feet away from me. Please wear a mask and you're not coming over to my house, those sorts of things. So when we have, when we're transparent, when we listen early and often, and when we discuss expectations, I think that will keep things from getting heated. Ultimately we are pulling, not pushing. I hope that that is a helpful answer for you, but and then it's legit. It's going to be really, really hard as we move forwards with, with all of this. Okay, here's a slightly different tack on, on, a, on a question. I've gone through them all and, and prioritized them. Here's the next one. Trying to shift your life is hard. What should be the first step we take in order to adjust our habits? So having read The Power of Habit by Harvard professor, Dr. Charles Duhigg, and also uh, having considered research from the University College of London, habits are so critically important. 
somewhere in and around 40 to 70% of our daily activities are unconscious. You don't need to think about the way that you drive to work. You know the route. It's kind of in the back of your mind. You don't need to consciously be thinking about it. You've done it so many times. It becomes automatic. Habits take anywhere from 20 to 120 days to install to the point of automaticity. So if you're trying to eat healthier, you're going to have to focus on that and put mental energy towards that for 20 to 120 days until it becomes automatic. So I believe that it's worth putting effort, energy, attention into creating the best habits possible so that we can be as healthy as we can be moving forwards consistently. Similarly, if we're trying to make improvements in the way that we interact with others, in the way that we breathe when we're stressed, in the way in which we learn, all of those sorts of things depend upon us creating the good habits around learning about controlling our emotions, around doing healthy things like getting out into the sunlight, whatever that happens to be. So we're looking for 1% gains, microscopic changes that are super easy to accomplish that you can do them every single day consistently from on average 66 days, 20 to 120 days. And that will make a huge difference. The other thing that I've been doing a lot in this pandemic with Judith, my wife, my kids is focusing on environment. We want to try to create an environment where success is inevitable, and so, for example, junk food cannot be in the house because if it's in the house, you or someone you love will eventually eat it. That's Dr. John Berardi's rule from Precision Nutrition. If you want to go for a run in the morning, you want to get your running clothes out and on the floor right next to your bed so that you literally have to just like sit up, put your feet down, they drop into your shoes, you stand up, you pull on your shorts, you grab your t-shirt, you throw it on, and then you go for your run. But if your stuff's in the laundry, you're not going for, for the run, right? We want to make success inevitable. Therefore, we're focused on our environment. So when it comes to what are the first steps we take to adjust our habits, understand it takes 20 to 120 days, average 66. We are going to allocate all of our attention and energy towards fixing that habit during that time. We're going to do it 1% at a time. Micro changes consistently win. And we're going to focus on creating an environment where success is inevitable to make creating that new habit as easy as possible. Whew. Okay. Hope we're doing all right. Going to keep going here. We've gotten through 24 questions so far, actually 21, sorry. And we're going to keep, keep moving. Got about 15 minutes to go. And I really hope this is helpful for all of you. What tips do you have for healthy work-life balance? Great question. This happened in the French session earlier today as well. And as we move to a new normal, as we move to reimagining the future, I think this is a critical thing for all of us to consider is this idea of work-life balance. I'm actually not convinced that work-life balance can exist. I'm also not convinced that work-life balance is what we want. Uh, I'm also very convinced that work-life balance doesn't lead to success. I also don't think the work-life balance necessarily leads to health and well-being either. What we need to try to do is to perform to our potential at things that we care about the most, things that we're interested in, things that matter to us, and then recover and regenerate when we're not doing those things. Rather than just simply redlining it all day long and functioning at 60 to 70% in an exhausted state for years, I believe in 100% performance followed by 20% recovery and regeneration. And the way that we achieve, I think, work-life balance is that you can work really, really hard for a day, but then at night, maybe you read a book 
Or if you can't achieve work-life balance on any given day, which is fine because things come up and we get busy and you know we've got to put out the fires, whatever that happens to be, right? Child skins their knee and you've got to go pick them up from school and that disrupts your meetings for the afternoon. Like work-life balance on any given day is extremely hard to achieve. But work-life balance over the course of a week, well, that might be possible if we leave work at work, if you take the weekend to recover and regenerate, if you go for a walk on the weekend in the park when you leave your phone at home, if you have a great dinner on Saturday night with family and friends, right? Work-life balance over the course of a week becomes maybe possible. Work-life balance over a month, well, that's definitely possible, right? Because then you could have a couple of weeks where you're working really, really hard. And then a week where you just sort of, you know, keep things going, but then a week where you allow yourself permission to get the workouts in, make the healthy meals, get the sleep, do the motivate, do the, do the meditation, take the weekend off over the course of a year. The other thing that you can do is schedule a vacation, like a real vacation. And I want you to take two weeks at a time. And I want you to put the autoresponder on, so that you literally do no work during that time. And that way you can decompress from work and you can recover and regenerate. So work-life balance, possible to achieve over a longer time frame, extremely difficult to achieve in a short time frame. So let's expand the time frame upon which we're considering. And also remember the one, two, three rule. I want you to do one hour a day, something for you that makes you better, whatever that happens to be two days a month, something for you in a row. So one weekend a month dedicated to what you love to do at the highest level. Might be coaching your kid's softball team, might be carpentry, might be art. It might be taking a course, whatever it happens to be. One weekend a month, two days for you. And then three weeks a year, take a real vacation for three weeks a year. Maybe one week in March, two weeks at, well, one week at Christmas, couple couple weeks in August, like whatever it happens to be. And I realize that adds up to four, but what we're just looking for is really great vacations where you actually take a vacation. So work-life balance, consider that over a month versus and a year versus a day and a week. Uh, and remember the one, two, three rule, one hour a day, two days a month, three weeks a year. I think that'll really, really help you with all of that. Uh, checking in, looks like this is good. No new questions. Going to keep going so that I answer as many of these as I possibly can. We may need to do another podcast, actually, um, if they're, if they're, because I don't know if we're going to be able to, to get to all of these. Scared around shared elevators and washrooms. How can I make myself comfortable with that on a return to the office? Goes along with another question. Subway, trains, platforms, food courts, elevators, bathrooms, question mark, all those sorts of things. Remember the idea two times vaccine, N95 mask, wash your hands. And that will cover honestly, like 99.9% .9 of the situation. Once most of the population is vaccinated, which in my mind is sort of 75% and up and by vaccine, I mean, double vaccine, then we can really start to take the, take our vigilance level down significantly. So we're waiting for that threshold and then we can reconsider things. All right. Interesting question, uh, non-related to, to COVID, but interesting anyway. At what interval should I be taking a break to unwind and recover during the work? And how long should that break be? If you want to dig into this further, you can check out an article on Harvard Business Review called Manage Your Energy, Not Your Time by Tony Schwartz. And in that article, Tony describes the 90-30 ratio, work for 90 minutes, 30 minutes off to recover and regenerate. He mentioned in that article that it's based on research. I searched like crazy, couldn't find any research to back that up. 
But what I did find was this idea of ultradian rhythms and all humans have them. Circadian rhythms are sort of light, dark cycle uh, are created inside the body based on light, dark cycles from the sun. So you get tired at a certain time of day, you fall asleep at a certain time of day, you go to the bathroom at a certain type of day, you get hungry at a certain type of day. Those are our 24 hour circadian rhythms. Smaller than that are ultradian rhythms and they last anywhere from 20 minutes to 90 minutes. Your ultradian rhythms might be 20 minutes long and then you need a break. They could be 90 minutes long. You need a break. Mine are sort of like in and around an hour to two hours, depending on what I'm doing. Um, so I like to work for approximately 90 minutes and then, and then take a break. I usually am good for three, maybe four of those work blocks a day. And then sometimes times when I'm really hustling, it'll be a little bit more, but usually that's what I'm looking at. So what I would say to you is consider your energy levels when you're working in a totally focused way, time it, see how long that takes until you start to get distracted, until you start to get tired, until you read the same sentence five times and can't remember what you've read. Once you know what that time interval is, then you go for a walk, get some healthy food, drink some water, have some berries, have some nuts, get outside, recharge, and then you can come back after that break to do another work block that enables you to do the hundred percent performance, 20% energy expenditure during recovery, which enables world-class performance consistently over a long period of time, rather than the typical strategy of most people when they work, which is to function at 70% all the time, which lands you in stress, burnout, anxiety, and exhaustion and fatigue, which is not what we want for all of you. Whew, hope you guys are doing all right. Uh, I certainly am having a blast with all of us. Really hope that this is helpful as we do this sort of office hours Q&A here. How can we maintain our work-life balance, more balanced than it is, developed while working from home, which was so difficult to adjust to initially. However, all the more rewarding through being able to do mini workouts to stimulate our energy and eating healthy. Now I'm thinking about time lost traveling to work, having to prepare ahead of time our meals to eat well, knowing that we will not be taking breaks as nobody goes outside for walking around the block while in our downtown tower. It's just exhausting. This is so important. I'm glad this came up. And what I would love for you to consider is this. I don't want us to return to normal. I think simply returning to normal would be such a tragedy, such a waste because we've had time to disconnect. We've had time to wipe the slate clean. We can consider a better way to work, a way that improves our health. Imagine going if work was a place that when you went there, you got healthier. Think about that, right? Imagine if the office was a place where you mentally and physically and emotionally improved your well-being. Well, we spend eight to 20 hours a day there. We should definitely be having that conversation but you've already sort of given me the answer. When you were at home, you did many workouts. When you were at home, you did things that stimulated your energy. When you were at home, you ate healthy. It is possible to do all of those things at the office. It's harder to do them. It's not as accessible, but it is possible. Therefore, the question that we need to ask ourselves moving forwards is what are we willing to do to ensure that we're healthy when office life opens up again. Are we willing to ride our bike to and from work? Are we willing to make our meals and bring them with us or find the healthiest spot to get food when we're at the office? I've been to some of the huge office towers in downtown Toronto and downtown Calgary in New York, and they have places, not all of them, but some places where you can get really healthy food. 
Are you going to go to those places? Maybe you pre-order an automatic order every single day that you just drop by and pick up on the way in and out. So we need to reimagine the future. And we also need to create a culture where health and well-being is not ridiculed. It's not looked at as a sign of weakness. It's not looked at as something that is strange, but it, that it is a culture that we create collectively together where health and well-being, taking care of yourself is something that is applauded and something that you do for you. And that's something we get inspired by instead of getting offended by where taking your own food with you to work is considered to be totally fine. And wow, that's really cool. What, what do you got today? Right. That sort of thing. Um, so it is possible. It's hard, but I want you to reimagine the future and craft your own future deliberately as we move forward so that we can be incredibly healthy. Ultimately, I want you to do you. If you've discovered healthy things that make you better, stick to it, keep it going. Put the effort and energy into figuring out how to pull that into the new environment rather than just simply saying, well, that's not the culture. I can't do it there, right? That's that's the game for all of us moving forward. So I'm gonna be traveling soon again with flights and hotels and all that sort of stuff. Um, I will be traveling very, very differently now than I did before. And I'm going to be choosing hotels carefully. I'm going to be bringing workout gear. I'm going to be scheduling a personal trainer wherever I go. I'm going to be really, really careful about how I do things so I don't end up in the situation that I was in before with my health deteriorating as I was doing 100,000 plus miles a year on Air Canada. All right. Here's another one. Really good. Is there a language or questions we should universally adopt to gauge others' comfort with personal space or to cat, 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 uh, check in with others? So once again, as a reminder, the principles are be transparent, listen early and often, which you were suggesting already, discuss expectations, and then experiment and adapt. But there's two core questions I think that can summarize all of this that you can use moving forwards. And the two questions moving forwards that I would love for you to ask on a regular basis come from my friend, Alex Charfin, who's a Fortune 100, Fortune 1000 consultant in the States, uh, down in, in Austin, Texas. And when we were talking about psychological safety and creating psychologically safe environments based on the research done at Google called Project Aristotle, which you can look up, just search Project Aristotle, Google, you'll find the great article in the New York Times that describes that. We were just discussing how do we create environments at work where psychological safety is improved, which by the way, is the number one factor that determines whether or not a team is high performing or not psychological safety being that one thing. The two questions are, which you can ask to your colleagues, you can ask to other people, you can ask to the people who work for you, you can ask to your spouse and partner, you can ask to your kids. Questions are, what went well? Where do you need support? And so I think that that can really help uh, with conversations when we come back to the office and you can just say, hey, what went well, which can help you to enter into discussions around, you know, what's going well, what, what do you feel good about here? What's better in this work environment maybe than, than at home? And then where do you need support? Notice the wording is positive. Where do you need help? And that can lead us into a little bit of discussions around what are you comfortable with? Are you you know, where are we at around masks? What, what are you cool with? Where are you at around distance? And that's a conversation I'm having with almost everyone. And my simple question I ask people is like, where are you at around, you know, COVID distancing and, and how, what's your comfort level with that? And some people might say, I'm totally good. 
don't worry about it. I've had my two vaccines. I'm done with this. I'm moving forwards. And other people are like, you know what? I'm, and this has literally happened to me. They're like, we're still on, you know, full on care mode. We're we're masking if close. We're asking people not to come into our home, you know, whatever that whatever that comfort level is. But when you check in with others, when you're transparent, when you ask the questions, when you listen with the intention of understanding, not being understood, you're not trying to convince anyone of anything. You're simply trying to understand where they're at. You can then have the discussion around expectations. You then experiment with how is that working and you adapt moving forward. So those are the five steps that we can use to get us through all of that. Probably want to do one more question here. And here's the last one I want to deal with. What's your best strategy to help children with anxiety? Because at the end of the day, even though today's conversation is about work and anxiety around returning to the office, we all are going to have a situation where a loved one experiences anxiety in the next little while. And I think that there's a couple, there's three principles I'd love for you to consider when it comes to anxiety with your kids. And as they're returning to school or they hear things in the news or friends are adapting differently, you know, all those sorts of things. And the first of three things I'd recommend with regards to helping your children with anxiety is unconditional love. So critical that we let our children know that we, no matter what, we love them. We may not love their behaviors, but we love them. And that's really, really key. Unconditional love, which by the way, this also goes for people in general, and it may not be unconditional love, but it might be unconditional empathy, might be unconditional compassion. Doesn't mean that you don't set boundaries for behaviors that you expect that you accept with regards to how people treat you. Obviously, we have those boundaries that we need to maintain and defend so that people, you know, that respect is, is happening. But we have unconditional empathy, unconditional compassion for others. Because even if people believe things that we don't necessarily believe in, they believe it for a reason, which is, you know something that's happened in their life that has led them to certain conclusions. So unconditional love, unconditional empathy, unconditional compassion with boundaries to keep everybody safe. Second step, unconditional support. We support our children unconditionally to help them do what it is that they want to do. That unconditional support is key. And then the third piece of the puzzle is to understand that anxiety and depression increase or decrease constantly throughout our entire lives to go along with increased, you know, anxiety increases or decreases the the positive version of anxiety is excitement increases or decreases. You don't want to be excited all the time. You similarly don't want to be anxious all the time. Uh, and it's same with depression and happiness. There's there two sides of, of the same coin. Depression will go up and down. Sometimes you're not feeling happy. Other times you're feeling super happy. You don't want to be happy all the time. You don't want to be depressed all the time. There is variation in life where challenges emerge. And I learned this from Dr. Bill Howitt, psychologist, Dr. Bill Howitt, is that problems begin to emerge when we're anxious consistently for a long period of time and depressed consistently for a long period of time. The longer we are anxious, the longer we are depressed, the harder it is to pull ourselves out. Therefore, we need to make sure that if our children are experiencing anxiety that's variable on any given day, okay, well, we're just going to help them with unconditional love and support. If our children are struggling with anxiety and depression, that seems to be consistent for days, weeks, hopefully not months, then we must get professional help. Seek out a psychologist who can help you with a strategy with 
enabling your children to overcome that depression and anxiety and develop skills that enable them to get through it in a safe and healthy manner. If there's one thing that we've seen in this pandemic is that although depression might be down to some extent, which seems like anxiety levels have skyrocketed. So we wanna make sure that we're taking care of the people around us, friends, family, loved ones, and our coworkers. And so that unconditional love, unconditional support, empathy, compassion are all critical. And then when we're in difficulty for longer periods of time, days, weeks, months, we seek out that professional help to get the best people and the best advice so we can move forwards together because this will not be easy. As much as the transition to working at home was challenging, as much as the early stages of the pandemic were challenging, as we emerge from the pandemic, it will remain challenging, but hopefully in a much more positive way. All right, everyone, that is the extent of our time. I got through about half of your questions. We may have to do this again to answer the other half, but I think you get the sense of what we're talking about here and where my team has landed in terms of recommendations around all of these issues. So really hope that that's helpful. If anyone has any other questions, don't be afraid to reach out. And someone just said, yes, another podcast would be would be great. Um, someone has also just said, we've picked up some bad habits at home too. Yes, we can get rid of those when we go back to the office. And then one other thing someone just said, which is an easy, easy answer, my home's quiet and serene. What about noisy office with no privacy and a cubicle with half wells, not it's half walls, I assume, not half wells, that's me. Um, I've got some amazing noise canceling headphones, B&O, definitely wanna check those out. Uh, and then someone else just mentioned, what about a real panic attack? And on those cases, I'm gonna refer back to what I just said is we really do need to make sure that we are getting professional help with things that are severe and intense and acute and, and chronic. So make sure that we're reaching out and, and get that support that you need to um, be able to move forwards in this very, very difficult time. All right, everyone, I'm out of time. That's it for me right now. Huge hugs virtually because still not allowed to do that in person. Hopefully we'll all be double vaccinated. I can see you at a live conference at some point soon and uh, actually have some real interactions. I get a ton of energy from these sessions. Appreciate you all coming and hanging out with me. All right, travel safe, be healthy, everyone. And I really appreciate your time and energy being here with me today. All right, everyone, hope you enjoyed that. I hope that's helpful. I really hope that that maybe gave you a few ideas about how you could return to work in a safe and high-performance manner. Thanks so much for listening in. Thanks so much for being a part of this journey. If you enjoyed the episode, give me a shout out on social at Dr. Greg Wells. Even better, a review on iTunes would be amazing and subscribe on whatever platform you get your podcast on. Thanks so much for listening. Stay healthy and safe, everyone. I wish you all the best. Have a great week and we'll talk to you again soon.